0: Essentially right now I'm revising all of my cash projections for April, May and June as if it was 0, <laughs> which is not a fun thing to think about, but you know I do like a worst case scenario because it gives me information to take action and then looking at, you know, a couple scenarios beyond
1: that. Everything sucks at first. Very few things suck forever. That's one of my favorite quotes from John Gorman. Being an entrepreneur is such a roller coaster. Some days you're so excited, some days you're terrified. Every day is something new, something you're testing or improving or changing. For me, this is my reminder that when you're on that roller coaster and it might be one of those days where you're headed down instead of up, it's always changing. And tomorrow, the world might look really different. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. We still don't really know how long or how impactful this whole situation will be, so you got to take it day by day. But it won't always be like this. It'll change. And part of being resilient is just learning to roll with the punches. Because even if it sucks at first, it won't suck forever and my guest today is showing us how it's done. Lauren Caselli owns a strategic event planning and marketing firm. She also coaches business and agency owners looking for more financial breathing room on how to institute rate raises and price their services appropriately so they can earn more per client and feel in control of their business. Lauren and I chat about how all the craziness around coronavirus has affected her events business. And we'll talk about how that's impacting her cash flow and her approach to her finances. Lauren built some great financial processes into her business that are serving her really well during this time. Hey Lauren, thanks so much for coming here and talking to me today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So you are in an industry that is particularly affected by the current situation—the events industry. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that what's that looking like for you right now?
0: Yeah, totally. So I've been in events pretty much my whole career. So I graduated from college in 2007. I moved to New York immediately. Went into weddings, um, did like very high end weddings, and then moved to a corporate firm, and then was in a corporate kind of event department during the 2008 financial crisis, 2009 in New York City. And so that was what, 10 years, what years? 2020, so it's 12 years ago, 12, 11 to 12 years ago. And at that time, there was sort of a slow slide into obviously events and marketing events specifically and client retention events kind of were one of the first things to go. So, at that time, it was like, we all saw layoffs coming, we kind of saw it 6 months before it actually kind of happened our company at the time was was able to sort of kind of do a lot of financial evaluations and projections um, and we all were given a little bit more time this year <laughs> in 2020 it is obviously vastly different in a number of industries you know airlines and hospitality and tourism but events specifically because this you know pandemic covid-19 has really affected gatherings there is a there was no warning right people were paying their invoices and excited up until, you know, we're recording this on March 19th, so up until a week ago, um, you know, so seven days, and uh, immediately for myself and a lot of my vendors and people in the event industry, there's just, it was, you know, basically stop payment and sort of a lot of uncertainty beyond that. So, we're sort of in this like holding pattern because in events right now, there are three options. You cancel, you postpone, or you go digital, you go online. And nobody really knows, you know, when to postpone to. Um, There's lots of financial implications with cancellation. Um, And the virtual piece is, it's not the same, you know, as much as you want to, you know, talk about about it being, you know, a great option, it's, it's different. And so, I think right now, those are the options and none of them feel great right now. So they're
1: yeah, that's what's going on. That's where you are. Yeah. So what kinds of financial information are you looking at inside your business right now to kind of figure out where you head next or what do you do? Yeah, totally. So I think this was a unique situation in that I,
0: you know, I've been in business full time for since 2016, so for about um, four years, and then part time for you know two and a half, so overall about six years. And last year was the first year that I started l- working with a bookkeeper. Um, we really got official into QuickBooks. You know, I had you know I was p- paying W two employee a W two employee last year, and we did our, a big projections meeting in January. Like you know. <laughs> a full kind of like brainstorm, like very vision, vision casting, and now that I'm looking at my numbers, it literally—I mean—went from. I mean, so seven days. Let me back up. Seven days ago, it was sort of like I'm gonna wait and see. What's happening? There was a lot of legal stuff that nobody was sure about in terms of event cancellation, and is this a force majeure, or is it not a force majeure? Which is basically a clause in a lot of contracts that means you can cancel with no penalty on the, you know, client side, um, or on the vendor side, but primarily on the client side. Um, So there were a few days of sort of like me being like, "Oh great, I get a couple days off, and we'll figure this out." And then Monday. you know, four days ago, it was like, oh, it's really looking like my clients are going to not be able to pay me um, that quickly. And so, the things that I'm looking at right now, obviously Q2 is very questionable if events are being able to be held in May and beyond. And so, essentially, right now I'm revising all of my cash projections for April, May, and June as if it was zero. which is not a fun right. thing to think about but no. you know I do like a worst case scenario because it gives me information to to make to to take action and then looking at you know, a couple scenarios beyond that. Let's say, you know, 100% of those are rescheduled, what would that look like in Q3 and Q4? If 50% of those are rescheduled, what would that look like in Q3 and Q4? Um, And if none of those are rescheduled and they're all canceled, um, what does that look like in Q3 and Q4? And what do I need to be doing right now to get ahead of that? So those are kind of the things that I'm looking at, but I'm really starting from a place of if I don't get paid one more dollar in the next three months, what do I do?
1: yeah i think that's a a smart place to be at and i think everybody's um i think that's a valuable projection for everybody to always kind of have in the back pocket is like if you know because i think there is a part of every business owner that in the back of your head you're always like what if everything just stopped right and i don't think anybody ever really expects it all to just come to a screeching no but having (laughs) that like knowing what happens if like all of your clients cancel on one day like what is the real impact to your cash flow what is your real runway if everything stops and i think that is a i mean i'm the financial person like i always want to be looking at the worst case scenario like what is the worst possible thing that could happen and go from there because like you mentioned it's just information it is a way to base your decisions on you know what's the next best thing to do right right but I don't think anybody actually anticipated that legitimately happening to a lot of business owners. Like no, nobody, it's the deepest, darkest fear, right? Nobody expects it to be a reality. And I think for lots of businesses, not just yours, it is the like, okay, that day has come for some people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I do think, you know, obviously in my industry, it's very sudden and, and all of the industries who are getting a little bit of a Kind of like you know preview to the movie. You know, obviously I don't want to be doomsday, but I do think that this will have a ripple effect. And there's a part of me that's like, what excellent information for a lot of you know marketing agencies or people who have you know teams and staff who may not immediately right now be affected, but will probably be affected by just like a a pullback in Mm -hmm. in or at least a pause in spending until we can evaluate to get in front of it and like start doing the planning right now so that hopefully you never have to use it but
1: but man what I would give for another two weeks yeah like and this (laughs) this was so immediate and I think what's gonna be interesting is like is it actually a cliff right or is it a pause totally and for you know for your industry specifically as you are you know, thinking about rescheduling events, like there's a, there's a cadence to these things, like some of the hotels and all of the, like those are booked years in advance. Right. Um, You know, is this just going to be a consolidation? So like, you know, Q3, Q4, or just event, 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 as everybody kind of pushes, is it going to be a compression or um, like a legitimate, not. Yeah. I mean, in just,
0: there's lots of discussion and industry-wide, you know, it's obviously if you, the majority of people are trying to postpone and give themselves some more time for Q4 into Q1 of 2021. Um, but the reality is like, once you start getting into Q1, you're essentially just postponing your event, skipping this year and, and, and pushing into next year. year. And then also, yeah, you have to think about, You know, for you and myself, we all have events that we like to go to every year that are already scheduled in the fall. Um, And now we're going to have an influx of potentially two quarters of events that may be looking to recoup their losses or not, you know, maintain their, you know, at least their presence, um, all moving to September, October, and probably November before Thanksgiving. And so the competition is going to be, it'll be interesting to see sort of if they can even maintain their numbers um, of attendees, because there's just going to be a lot more bundled up so
1: yeah i'm see- interesting to see like so me this sm- the like the scrapper in me is like just go virtual and right. make a little bit of less money but everybody can attend that now everybody's sitting at home trying to figure out what to do anyway yeah of course but i i think you're right the logistics of a virtual event versus a yeah physical event and what does that operationally look like
0: i mean yeah you know and that's you know something we can certainly dive into but you know th- I've been talking to a lot of people and you know there's things that it's they're a little harder to go virtual music festivals and you know I have a talk to a client who you know has a festival in Oregon every year you know and just Uh, there's you know festivals and those kinds of things are harder to take virtual but if you're Mm -hmm. a conference leader or a workshop leader or you're doing a user conference for your client base those are excellent things that you can take online and potentially you know you know i I don't want to say skip a year but pause on the enormous spending that an event is i mean event is like can be you know business within a business because it's just Mm -hmm. so massive in terms of spending um so for for anyone who has content um and can still pay their speakers and things like that. I really think that that a virtual conference is the way to go, um, rather than postponing and then really working on how do I like add the networking piece in because the content can be repurposed. You can make videos out of it. You can do all kinds of things if you take it virtual. And so then you just sort of have to figure out the networking piece um, so that you can you know hopefully stay alive. I mean there will there are definitely entire companies that are going to go out of business because their events are unable to be postponed or you know canceled with refunds yeah
1: yeah and i think this is an interesting opportunity to see how people can approach what they're doing in a like out of the box way like really looking at what is what are you trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. you know are you trying to accomplish um for your example like networking is that is that what people come to your event for and there is there a creative way that you can Go about delivering that service yeah. in a way that doesn't require face to face. And right. kind of I, I think there are cool opportunities to look at Yeah, how do you reapproach what you're doing?
0: I mean, if nothing else, it's an it's a really excellent opportunity to, to get to know your customer. Um, because like, you know, if you are considering, and we don't have to go all the way into this, but if you are considering taking your event online, like this is a really great time for you to like ask your customer if they're still interested in coming to the event, a lot of good data about themselves so that you can a make really great connections for them and b learn about them. What are they interested in? How can you serve them better? So I do think that there's some, you know, if it were me, if I were hosting a large event that could be taken digital, I would I would do that and then and then focus on getting to know my customer for the, you know, a so that I can build a network so that they get to know people um, digitally and I can introduce them and help them make connections and be so that I can get to know them better because I really think now more than ever we all as agency owners and service providers need to double down on getting to know our customers so that we can know what they need (laughs) right now because like who knows what they need right now
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah Um, I think those of us even the ones that like really do know our customers I think there's value in asking the question like what do you need what are you worried about like what's What's going on with you right now, just yeah. generally?
0: Yeah, especially right now.
1: So so are there any processes that you have in place um, right now that are kind of critical for you in managing your cash flow or your finances that maybe you put in place beforehand and have been... Fabulously helpful right now, or um, stuff that you're thinking about putting in place.
0: Yeah, so last year, um, my whole goal was to like build an emergency fund. <laughs> so that was that was a good goal to have. Good you goal. Know, it was a good goal, uh, and so that is definitely being activated currently uh, in terms of um, next steps. Obviously, having solid contracts w- was important. However, this is again one of those um, un. Uh, un- unforeseen things that, you know, is one, it, you know, the force majeure clause in any service provider com- contract is one of those ones that you don't actually think you're ever going to ever gonna have to use. Nobody ever
1: thinks they're going to have to use that. Yeah.
0: It's just like, okay, it's in here, like for that time that maybe, you know, a hurricane blows through town or something or whatever. And actually I did one time run an event, I don't remember really know if you remember the, there was a volcano in Iceland that
1: like covered yeah, Europe yeah. and,
0: yeah, like ash. I was living a... in
1: England at the time. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. So, we had had a conference in New York City where all of our European partners, I worked at a law firm, had to fly in and they all got grounded. So, we did actually have to use some force majeure in terms of like our attrition rate at the hotel, but we did use it then. So, that I'm not unfamiliar with it, but man, <laughs> so many times <laughs> in the last couple couple weeks. Um, but yeah, having a solid contract. Um, is is important and now we have this information to go forward um to say you know how can we broaden our force measure or, or constrict our force measure ca- clauses or other clauses like you know i have some final payments outstanding and you know i will be thinking about how I do my final payments going forward. I used to do a final payment right before the end of the event so that they knew that I would deliver my service. And now I'm like, nope, I think going forward, I'll have a, you know, 30 days before deliverable. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing is like in terms of systems and processes, you know, obviously the emergency fund and the contract, but also, um, you know, I'm really lucky in that I host events for myself and I have business insurance. Um, A lot of people don't Buy business or well, that's not true. Not that a lot of people don't buy business insurance, but uh, a lot of people don't buy event insurance. And so this is a situation where if your event is canceled because of force majeure, you can potentially recoup some of the losses with your event insurance. So if you are thinking about planning an event, or you haven't started, or you are just about to sign a contract, I really highly recommend event insurance. Um, you know, and so for me, like, you know, right now I'm looking through my insurance, uh, my business insurance to see if there's any sort of coverage for this type of dramatic loss of income. So those are kind of the initial steps that I'm taking. Um, and then on the other on the other side, on the, on the outflow side, um, I just made a couple investments that hadn't started and I, and I reached out to all of those providers and I said, look, I'm not going to be able to pay you until I know when I'm going to be able to pay you. So we can cancel this engagement, we can postpone it till the fall, or, you know, we can, credited as some one-on-one time, but like right now I just don't feel comfortable laying out this cash until I actually know what's going to happen. Um, and all of them obviously were very understanding and I got in early. That's the other thing. Like immediately, mm-hmm. you know, I think, yes. you know, that was kind of immediately, even though I was like, well, I don't know what's happening with my business, doing it early when I knew that later I could always buy it back or, you know, whatever felt just a little safer than... You know let me wait and see and see if i'm going to get paid and you know i don't want to put those people in a lurch um i think really just putting on my own oxygen mask is the most important right now
1: well yeah and i think you know for all of us that work with teams or with other contractors other businesses like if you know that you are in a precarious position or you know that you're not necessarily going to go ahead like i think any information we can give um and be there to support other business owners and just say like we it's a situation that's happening to everybody right i think being clear and upfront about it and just letting people know what's going on so that they can plan or know that it's risky or know that you know if maybe you decided to stick with it like hey i'm sticking with it right now but i think being as clear as possible yeah Um, and as transparent as possible with everybody that you work with is super important. Yeah.
0: And the communication piece, you know, I have a, my partner works in engineering. He's an engineer and he had just got a new job and is in Washington state. And I'm like, you mean your office, your leaders in your office haven't said like, here's our contingency plan. They haven't talked to you at all about this. Like they're still going in every day. I'm just like, if, you know, and he's getting more and more nervous. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And so, um, I don't have a huge team, but like, being communicative, not only with, you know, the people that I work with, and also, you know, kind of my vendors, I think it's just really important. Because if it were me, if I were on the other side, if I had a job in an industry that might be affected, and nobody was talking to me about what the plan was, I would be not able to do my job every day.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, fair point that I don't think anybody ever planned for this, right? Even in like your, even if you have a business continuity plan, and I don't know that a lot of businesses actually have those right. Um, like just planning for a, a normal illness. Like what if you as the founder are sick right. and you can't work or your spouse gets sick and you can't work like what, how do you build that resiliency into your business? But then how do you respond and absolutely communicate? Yeah. And be flexible and totally. figure out, you know, what's, what's the next best thing.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Continuity is so interesting. I worked in continuity for nine months, like right after the that Tokyo earthquake. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember mm. that? That like took out all of Tokyo. Um, and I worked again for a law the law firm, and we had, you know, we have uh, thirty offices. And even now, I'm like, you, you know, up until two weeks ago, I was like, continuity plans are for big companies.
1: <laughs> now I'm like, yes. no, they're not. <laughs> I think it's even more critical if you're a small company. You know, lots of small companies, especially if you have a team or a very small team, um, they're you don't have a backup yeah like if if somebody goes down that stuff doesn't happen or somebody else has to figure out how to do it it's not like at a big company or um like my experience you know in the military like you just slot you slot the next person in and they do the job and that's not possible at small companies and i think you know probably planning for continuity is even more important in a small business building those resilient Processes documenting your process so that somebody else can pick up where you left off. Right.
0: And hopefully you never, ever, ever have to use them. But if you do, they're there for you. They're just there. And,
1: you know, um, it reduces the stress of what will probably already be a very stressful situation if you have to execute that in a small business. Yep, absolutely. So you manage budgets really not only for your own business, but also for your clients. Talk to me a little bit about how that's what that looks like right now. Yeah,
0: totally. So, like I said, a, an event is somewhat, you know, it's obviously a, a product stream within a business and so it sort of often has its its own budget in and of itself. I think one of the things that I often see people do is they um, line item an event sort of as a marketing expense, which is fine if you think you're going to get business out of it afterward. And But I do usually like to break out an event as its own, sort of like PL and and kind of, have it be an independent piece of information so that you know if it's actually making you money or if it's just kind of a a brand brand builder. Um, And so I was so lucky, maybe 2016, um, at the end of the year, I worked with a CFO. I did like a 10-week boot camp with him through our local it's like a, not like the small business development, but like a, it's like a local nonprofit that offers grants, to up to $2,000 grants for small business owners who are continuing their education. So mm-hmm. we did a 10 week boot camp with, you know, a CFO um, who used to be the CFO of a big construction company who actually in 2008 essentially <laughs> saw his entire business just like decimated, um, and one of the reasons was not because they didn't have contracts coming in, but because they were not diligent about their cash flow, about getting their invoices mm-hmm. in, and and having net thirty or net sixty payment terms to go out. And he was like, looking back on it, we could have saved the company if we had minded our cash flow. And that was like, at that time, was very eye opening to me because. You know, obviously, I don't have. You know, events aren't that those. You know, huge outlays like millions of dollars of outlays. But sometimes you're writing big checks, right? You're writing a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar check or whatever to a hotel to to sort of like, you know, uh, reserve your spot. And that, you know, if you're not making that up in ticket revenue yet, you have to be really mindful of where that money is coming from. So um, I started doing this with my clients maybe like a year after I had done that boot camp because a lot of them didn't you know they would it would come to the end of the event and they'd have to outlay you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of expenses and they'd be like oh my gosh, I had no idea that I had to do that So or they did they just didn't Conceptualize it. So we started doing that in terms of like, what are you bringing in? What are you, what's going out? When is it coming in? When is it going out? And then also, where, what do you have to sell in order to break even? And what do you have to sell um, in order to actually make a profit on this? And putting those numbers down on paper made it really, really real for my clients. Cause I think a lot of times people are like, well, high level, if I sell a hundred thousand dollars worth of tickets and I you know, spend $80,000 worth of tickets, you know, I get 20, you know, it's 20,000, you know, whatever, my cost per person is X and, you know, here's my profit margin. But with events, like, you know, sometimes you're paying $20,000 for audiovisual no matter if one person shows up or 100 people show up and so you can't really do, an analysis of what it costs per person, unless you're, unless you are focusing on some of those like bigger costs that are uh, fixed. So I started doing that with my clients, and uh, it came in really helpful because a lot of times clients would, I would do that with them, and they would be like, "Oh, this event doesn't make sense at all. Why don't we just focus on you know our top three providers and." take them out to dinner and like renew contracts and things like that. And that's helpful information, <laughs> right? To have. And sometimes it was, you know, it made them be like, oh, you know, this is really a great opportunity for me to galvanize my community and and, you know, I'm definitely going to go for it. So I think just having those numbers made it easier for them to really understand the implications of, you know, when they wanted to like hire a, you know, get fireworks or something. I'd be like, okay, so that's going to be 10 grand. Is that worth it for <laughs> you know, the fireworks. Does anybody really care about the fireworks? Right. Like, Like, you you know, or do they care about, you know, getting to know other people at the conference and networking and things like that. So, um, yeah, so that was helpful because a lot of times people would hire me and I would say, okay, let's do this projection. And then they'd be like, you know, I'd talk myself out of business, but I'd rather that than people lose their shirts on, on something that may or may not continue, you know, relationships with potential customers.
1: Yeah. I and I think your um, point about managing cash flow is so important, especially in a industry where events, you know, your your outputs and your inputs can be months and months right. and months apart. Yeah. And if you're looking at only like your your profit and loss of that particular thing, you're like, oh then that, that looks all right. And I think it's interesting that you did this boot camp with the CFO that I think, uh, that is absolutely the part that runs businesses out of business. So often Is they're looking at their profit and loss and they're saying, well, I'm profitable. I must be fine. Like I'm good. I'm profitable. I have a profit margin. It's okay. And we're not really thinking about how to manage the money coming in and the manage money going out and the potential separation of those two things. Yeah. It's the same way in, so I owned a uh, retail running store Mm -hmm. um, and we had a long time of, you have to hold inventory. In order to be able to sell things, you have to purchase inventory from your supplier and then you may or may not sell it at some point down the road. And being able to manage the cash flow of what do you have in your store versus, You know who's coming in and what are they buying and did you make some really bad inventory choices where it was stuff that you thought was really cool and ended up not selling and now you have to sell at a giant discount right and being able to, i think to kind of cut your losses of um if it's something that didn't sell well take what you can get for it and take the cash and move on to fight another day yeah exactly yeah totally Ugh. Which is, I think, like my instinct for your clients that are like, Ray. oh, I don't want to go virtual. I'm like, go virtual, reduce ticket prices, and take whatever cash you can right. get. Do what you have like, to do. Just take yeah. it and go. Just now. I mean, and, you know, and sometimes there's a good business case
0: for canceling. Like, I, you know, have seen some, especially now because so many vendors are really willing to be flexible because they're, you know, if you're thinking, you know, I don't, obviously, I'm in the event industry, so I'm not trying to, you know, just influence anyone one way or the other, but if you think about you, obviously, if you have an event coming up in the next three to six months, you are obviously thinking about potentially canceling or postponing or going virtual. And If you look at all your contracts and your next payment is due in the next, you know, Two or three months, but you're not quite sure what the environment's gonna be. And you're like, you know, if I cut my losses, I only lose, you know, five grand right now. You know, I haven't sold any tickets and all I did was put a deposit down. Like, that might be an okay thing to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not asking anyone to take any losses, but the reality is, like, you, let's say you put a $5,000 deposit down on the venue, they do not wanna lose that $5,000 deposit. And if you are like, can I use this in a credit in a year or can I, like, just you keep the money and I'll take it as a credit and we'll do a company party in December, whatever, you might be looking at that might be a better decision if you haven't laid out a lot of cash right now. So
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that is a great point that oftentimes, you know, it's always hard for us to let go of sunk costs. And a lot of time we're talking about some costs in terms of like, um, you know, our emotional investment sure. or the work that we've done towards something. But there's a a real true thing of you know a five thousand dollar loss now is potentially so much better than a hundred thousand dollar loss that ends up happening in you know september right um and that that should be a fair part of the evaluation of what you're what you're looking at particularly right now yeah yeah absolutely so i think that's a a decent place to sort of wrap up the conversation is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't talked about yet or that you are thinking about for your own company or for your clients companies
0: yeah i think you know again i'm definitely because this was hit so hard i um our industry like i am definitely in the putting on my own oxygen mask i reached out to my clients to be like you know tell me what you need and tell me how I can help, but I'm also assuming that none of my invoices for the next three months are going to get paid. And and I also think that, like, you know, this is a really great time for me personally, and also anyone who is like trying not to wait and see and like say, everything's going to blow over in three weeks. I really think it's a good time to be creative in terms of how you can help your clients. So I have a client who Mm -hmm. I work with, he just had an event in January, and he's still fully, you know, fully planning on doing it next January. And, you know, a lot of our event work is writing communication plans for event attendees and helping with website builds and things like that for event sites. And so now I'm Sort of like, what can I do to not not only replace the income that I have, but what can I do to be of service to the clients who I currently know, who know my work, who are willing to, you know, willing to work with me on a variety of projects and so really just trying to be creative of how I can be of service so that I can to be honest keep the lights on whether that's writing projects whether that's you know consulting whether that's you know doing projections on events you know if you cancel versus if you postpone so really just being creative about how I can be helpful not only to my current clients but to you know my community and things like that um, and also has to get paid for it I think a lot of people are doing free stuff right now which is excellent you know I think you know it's a great time to sort of practice um, but I also think that at, at some point, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not like, helpful to, offer not everything helpful to for like free. go out of business just because you want to like provide information. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I think there is a there's a, a real balance. Um, I think the direction you're headed is what I would encourage everybody to do is think creatively about like what you can offer. What are your skills? What what are you what do you know how to do that may not necessarily be what your current business looks like, right. but could be the business that you have going forward whether that's a big pivot or a little pivot or that sort of thing but also recognizing that things for free are helpful Mm -hmm. and I mean I think we all kind of do that everybody's got free content that they've put out like everybody's done things that are of value for free but that you still you can still charge for your time and charge for what you're putting out and that that's good and helpful and that everybody will eventually recognize that, you know, that's how everybody survives is we kind of work together and we're all, we kind of share the wealth, I think. Yeah.
0: I've been really trying to, you know, I, I have a lot of great entrepreneurs in my community and they're all excellent. And a lot of them are like, you know, I'm a photographer, but I really want to help other people. And I'm like, you got to put your oxygen mask on first. So mm-hmm. like, you got to say, you got to do what you have to do to protect yourself. And there are tons of ways you can help um, and be of service. And, you know you know, don't don't think that you need to like donate to all the restaurants and put yourself in jeopardy. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Do that. Do if you can, can. <laughs> if you can, but also, and if not, you know. yeah, I love the um, put your own ox- oxygen mask on yeah. Yeah. first. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to close it out on. So awesome. um, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more or need help with their trying to figure out what they're doing with their events? yeah absolutely so i uh mostly on instagram at lauren caselli
0: underscore and then my website is just Laurencaselli.com. and you know i write a pretty robust blog have been writing blogs recently especially about what to do with your events so if you're curious head over there i've got some some content on the blog
1: awesome well thank you so much for coming here and um for being so transparent with what's going on with you yeah absolutely thanks for having me My favorite takeaway from this interview was Lauren's point to put your own oxygen mask on first. That can be applied in so many different areas right now, and it's a message that I personally found really helpful. Right now, putting on your own oxygen mask might mean being realistic about what you can get done when you're suddenly working from home and homeschooling and working with more people in your space. So what expectations for yourself and your business do you need to adjust? It might mean re examining your cash flow projections and, like Lauren talked about, run your own worst case scenario. Even if it's not ever going to actually happen, what does that really look like for you? Knowledge is absolutely power here. Or it might mean shoring up your operations and looking at where you could streamline. I have a concept that I like to call minimum viable administration. Basically, what is the minimum amount of people, systems, and processes that you can use to run the back end of your business? How small and simple can you get and still be really efficient and resilient? Usually by following that approach, you'll also save a bunch of money and increase your efficiency. And if you love this idea of minimum viable administration and you want some help getting there, reach out. I'd love to help you figure out what that looks like for your business. You can shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co or if you just want to hop on a call and talk it through, there's a link in the show notes where you can schedule a call with me and we'll figure out what your top priority should be right now. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellowhouse Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Grumbach.